welcome to NoCS3. This is a show where I talk to developers who are self-taught or have been coding bootcamps, and it's where I find out how they become successful. I'm joined today by Tom Hurst, a freelance WordPress developer who now makes a six-figure income. We'll be going over how Tom learned to code, his tips for finding freelance clients, how to price projects, and the future of WordPress as a headless CMS. But first, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor. If you go to bio.link, you can put all your social media and website links all in one place. Bio.link even allows you to collect emails, which is really cool. It's built by the team behind buymeacoffee.com, so it's been made especially for creators. If you go to bio.link forward slash Pete Codes, you can check out mine. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks for having me, Pete. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, no worries, man. So first of all, can you tell us a bit about where you're from and where you're based in that thing? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from a small town in the UK called Barnsley. Um, I live in Wakefield now, which is about 10 minutes away from Leeds. I've uh, just built up this freelance business on myself, you know, in not really with local clients or anything like that, because obviously location is quite irrelevant at the minute. And it was even irrelevant back 10, 12 years ago when I started, but even more so now. So, yeah, based in uh, Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think that's really great for a start because, uh, for, like, lots of people can become developers and don't have to go to, like, the big town or the big city. So mm-hmm. for, for me, myself, like, I've, I mean, I've lived in London a couple of times, but I've no desire to ever live there long term. And, like, lots of jobs, I think, you know, lots of sectors, all the jobs are in London or in the States, you know, all the jobs are in San Francisco or New York. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really great to be able to, like, work remotely because you just, you've always worked from home, haven't you? Yeah, I have, yeah. And I just found that to be easier, you know, for me, just I worked better that way. So I always approach clients that were happy with that arrangement as well. Yeah, perfect. So I guess, like, because you've got, like, home office and everything, you Mm -hmm. kind of just, like, uh, it's business as usual, like, in terms of COVID and everything, you've just been doing the same thing, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It was... um, the work side of my life was pretty much just a continuation, really. Um, but then, obviously, you know, there's the other stresses of uh, the lockdowns, you know, not being able to do the social stuff. When you work from home, you need that perspective, if you know what I mean. You need that, like, outside influence from your friends and your family and things like that. So, yeah, um, while it's been business as usual on the, the coding side of things, um, it's been a little bit stressful on the other side. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair call. I mean, I really like running anyway, mm. but, like, because I, I work from home and I was doing that before COVID, I just, yeah, like running and cycling and like making sure I'm getting outside uh, helps a lot. So yeah, definitely yeah. like even developers don't want to be like probably inside 24 <laughs> seven or it's not, it's, maybe they do, but it's not very healthy probably. It's good to have no, a exactly. thing. Exactly. Uh, I think I think I thought that I would cope with it like really well, just because of what you said before, like just business as usual. But I did notice that you know missing out on the gym and things like that, it definitely has effect, um, you know, on your coding and things like that too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I see as well. It's kind of like a trope that on Twitter people will be like, "Oh, I was stuck on this bug for hours," and then <laughs> like the next day I woke up and then it's just like, "Oh yeah, I fixed it in two seconds." So it's like, yeah, it's good to take a break. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, you don't have a C- CS degree or anything like that. Uh, no. How did you How did you learn to code? 
So I went to um, when I was, well, let's go back right to the beginning, actually. So I can remember when I was about 13, 14, my mum and dad bought a Packard Bell PC. I think it must have cost the earth back then, like five grand or something. Yeah. Um, you know, with a 56K modem and all that. And I just became like kind of obsessed with the internet and building websites and geocities and all that kind of stuff. And I think you had like some small options where you could like customize. And I used to like uh, make banners in Photoshop and things like that. And then I progressed then to an after school course. And so when I was doing my GCSEs, when I was like 15, I did an after school course at the college uh, on HTML. And that's like the first coding experience that I had. And then I went to university and I actually studied um, multimedia and communication design. So it's not a CS degree, but it was, you know, more like videography and design and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but then I kind of got reintroduced to coding again uh, while I was there because we had like a free reign module where we could pr pretty much do whatever we wanted. And I ended up building um, a website for my uh, uncle's band in WordPress. So I was about 20 then, 20, 21, something like that. And that ended up being my like part of my one sixth of the, you know, the credit for my degree. Um, and then, yeah, I just continued with WordPress and stuck with it ever since and just continued on my coding journey, really, into JavaScript yeah. and other languages. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, like, I mean, I think what's interesting about you is that you've built up this freelance business over the years. So um, you've not, you've kind of just, like, taken your own path. You've not worked for someone else. So, mm. like, how – I think that's, like, really attractive to lots of people because – quite a lot of people don't want to work the nine to five or there's that kind of options not so secure as it used to be. So do you have any tips for like, if someone's just starting out, how they can get their first like freelance clients and things like that? Yeah, I think, um, it's probably the harder route to take. If I'm being honest, if, if you, you know, not getting a job first and some mm. real world experience, um, instead of just going straight into it, like what I did. But I mean, the, the first tip I have is to learn to be a good marketer as, as well as being a good coder. Because being a good coder is not enough if you're wanting to go freelance. You need to have business skills and marketing skills too. So definitely think about, um, you know, reading books on the subject. That's, that's what I did a lot of, a lot of research into marketing, uh, how to position yourself and things like that. Because without that, it's going to be really difficult to go down the path of, you know, straight into freelance without having any contacts or anything like that from previous jobs. Yeah, no worries. Um, do you know off the top of your head any, like, any bits that you can suggest to people to check out for marketing? Mm, I mean, Seth Godin's stuff's really good. He's got oh, yeah. about four or five out there. Um, Purple Cow's a good one. It's kind of about how to differentiate yourself basically. Um, and to relate that kind of back to my experience, that's what I did with the WordPress stuff. Um, obviously WordPress is huge now, but 12 years ago, it wasn't quite as big. Okay. So I just used to, um, advertise myself as a WordPress only developer. And that's kind of how I got the, the leads coming in, um, through that speciality. So yeah. Um, Seth Godin stuff's really good on marketing. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. I think I've noticed that definitely from recruiters that have talked on LinkedIn about, you know, positioning in general, because they've said, I remember seeing someone recently say, you know, if they're looking to fill a role, they'll look on LinkedIn for people that are like, you know, JavaScript developer or React mm. developer or, mm. you know, whatever, like a specialty. 
So if you just put on LinkedIn, I'm a developer, then it's just like, well, what kind of developer are you? So yeah, I think definitely like being more specific and positioning, yeah, is really smart because that can mm. just like, you can like, yeah, pick your niche kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think if you just advertise yourself as a web developer only, you're just going to get lost in a sea of other candidates and that's not to be harsh. That's just, just the truth. You know, it's, it's really hard for people to find you if, if you don't give any specificity in what you actually do or what you want to do. And it just makes the whole game a lot harder if you don't pick something that, you know, people can find you by. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think as well, your point about marketing being important is really good because I think, you know, you can be like a really great developer, but if you, if you're talking to a client and you don't know how to sell or you don't know how to like explain, or if you say something like really complex, like if you go into mm. cafe and say like, oh, I'm going to make a headless CMS for you, people mm -hmm. will be like, well, what, what's that? So I think yeah. you need, it's good to be able to like talk in a way that, you know, your clients can understand. Definitely. You need to be personable as well, like with your marketing and be able to break down, you know, like complex technical things into like simpler terms. And, and that's like, that's quite a hard skill to learn really. You know, when you've got this programming head on your shoulders, you always like, you know, you've got all the acronyms and things that you, you know, like the back of your hand, but for people that are running like a cafe, like in your example, it's irrelevant to them really. They just want the website done in, in the best possible way. And they want to come to you as the experts, put the best technology in place. Nice one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was wondering, you've talked quite a lot on Twitter about pricing projects. And I mm -hmm. guess there's a few different skills of thought, but there's some ways where you can like price per the hour, or price per the day, or mm -hmm. just price for the project. So let's say I'm going to make a website for a cafe. I'm going to just charge for the whole project. And you're definitely like a big supporter of project-based pricing. So I was just wondering, like, yeah, what are the advantages of that? Yeah, I think um, with project pricing, like the incentives of you and the client are just way more aligned from the off. So what I mean by that is the client knows exactly what they're going to get and what it's going to cost before you, you shake hands, basically. If you ag agree like an hourly rate, then really what's the incentive for the programmer to work fast? There, there isn't one. And I just think it starts things off on a really bad footing. And I just don't think it's good business doing hourly billing. Um, whereas let's say if a coffee shop wanted, you know, a WordPress website with a, a custom design, whatever, and I say it's going to cost five grand, then they know what their financial commitment is right there up front. So it just makes life easier in my experience. There's less things to worry about, you know, mid-project. You don't have to go back and ask for more money, which I, I don't like doing. Um, and, you know, it's just it's just nice to give the client an exact figure on what their outcome is going to cost. And I just, I just think it's just a whole way better than doing things and just like guessing with estimates and things like that. Yeah, no, like when you explain it like that, it really makes sense because yeah, to use this example again, yeah, if you're, if you tell someone, oh, I'll work for 30 pounds an hour and you're mm -hmm. making a website for the cafe, then it's just like, well, is it going to cost me three grand? Is it going to take like a year? Is it going to cost me 30 grand? You, yeah, the person doesn't know. So that makes a lot of sense. I was just wondering, because it's project-based, I mean, presumably you have to be 
I guess, like really specific about the scope of the project. So it doesn't become so that they don't, you know, take advantage of you and say, oh, well, that's great. You're doing it for this much. And I'll keep on, I can just add and add and add. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you need a really specific um, scope before you give a price. Um, and the thing that I usually do is either that can come from the client themselves or if they don't have um you know a precise scope then i offer to do that with them beforehand you know for a paid pre-project so what i would say is um look if, if you've not got a scope that we can fix and we can agree a price on then i'll do a pre-project with you for for x amount and we'll work on that together which will then enable me to give you that fixed price accurately afterwards so that's how you would do it to not get taken advantage of from the developer side yeah awesome i mean because of the rise of things like Wix and Squarespace and things like mm -hmm. that. I mean, uh, what happens, like, if you're talking to a client and maybe you're making a pitch and someone's just like, oh, you know, I might just make a mistake with Wix or something like that. I mean, is that just like a client you want to avoid or like how would you handle that situation? Yeah, I mean, first I'd try not to get into negotiations with someone like that in the first place. So I would try and pre-qualify before I got on a call or into a meeting. I'd, I'd try and talk about budget really early on. I'd try and talk about what I specifically offer, which is custom websites, not theme-based stuff or page builder stuff. So then that kind of pre-qualifies someone before you spend a lot of time in meetings and things like that. But if I did end up in the meeting, then I would just, you know, I'd thank them for the time and say, I don't think that there's a good, there's a good fit for my services and, and your project, unfortunately. And then I'd just try and recommend them to someone that I know that, that, that would specialize in the thing that they're asking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I was curious about what you're thinking around that, because I did see like an exchange around that kind of area and it's. I think as well with selling your services, sometimes like if someone's not going to be a good fit, I mean, you can save yourself a lot of time and hassle if you're like, okay, like I don't want to have to like beg or like do a project which is going to be really cheap or anything. And you can just go for someone that's yeah better suited for your level, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And you get back more of what you accept as well. So the more of the clients who think that they could just do it on weeks that you accept, the more of them that you will get that, you know, in return, you know, you've got to put some markers down somewhere. It's part of your positioning, really. You've got to make like a deal with yourself that you're not going to, um, that's just not your client base and you accept that, you know, um, and then, and then just, just keep your foot down basically when uh, those neg negotiations do come up. Yeah. Nice man. Uh, so how do you like, how do you get clients at the moment? Do you have like, a lot of word of mouth or do you like are you actively kind of you know pitching your services to people or what yeah so I'd, i've never really done much outbound stuff it's all been inbound and that was kind of by design right from the beginning um so like one of the main things obviously is just do a good job and then you will get uh, you'll get word of mouth coming in and repeat business and like those two things you can build successful freelance business on alone um, but yeah, my primary tactic has been organic SEO through my personal website. So I've got two or three um, landing pages um, set up with, you know, really specific terms relating to my services that get a lot of traffic. Um, so, some weeks, you know, I'm getting like one or two leads per day from that. So that's always been my constant supply of um, new prospects coming in, um, aside from, you know, word of mouth and the longer that you do things, you know, the network gets bigger, doesn't it? You know, it's, yeah. um, 
it grows and grows over time. So yeah, that's that's where that's the, the main three sources are all inbound on my side. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. Do you have any quick like SEO tips for yeah, <laughs> getting, getting those kind of leads? Yeah, I think again, it's more like going specific again. So instead of making a page that describes yourself as um, freelance w- uh, like web developer, go like one deeper or even two deeper. You know, like freelance WordPress developer was one one of the things that I targeted. But obviously now that's just too saturated to try and target, and and I'm probably too far in front of you with the backlinks and things. But you know, if you wanted to say if you're a JavaScript developer, you know, target like React or even a vertical as well like startups or something like that. Try and be more specific in what you're offering on your landing pages. And you've got a lot better chance of getting um, SEO traction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. I know that you're like a big supporter of the idea of like building an audience and like getting more work that way. Can you mm-hmm. uh, talk us through that? Yeah, sure. I think, um, the audience that I'm building is kind of not really to get more freelance work. It's to really help other people in the freelance game. So it's a little bit different, but I think that the the plan works either way. You know, I think, I, I mean, I mentor a lot of uh, freelancers as well. And one of the um, tactics that we've talked about is to, you know, make friends with other freelancers because you might get their overflow work and things like that. So there's a lot of, benefits to having an audience and i think it's a worthwhile investment for freelancers that are looking to get more work or perhaps people like me who are looking to um create educational products and things like that too yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think like uh yeah i find over the last couple of years building up like nocs3.com like that's mm. like improved my network massively so yeah, there's definitely, it's definitely always a good thing to know, know more people and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about some of, the, some of the educational products that you've been selling on Gumroad recently? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started doing this about um, 11, 12 months ago now. Um, and I just thought, how can I kind of like productize my experience, basically? And um, there seems to be a lot of like programming resources already but not so much like how to freelance the business of freelancing marketing and, and things like that. So yeah, I just started, started with um, a free one called 10 steps to becoming a better freelancer. And basically what that one is, is just my manifesto um, of the 10 commandments or whatever you want to call them of how I built up my freelance career over the years and what I feel is important um, for freelancers looking to level up. So that was the first one that I released about a year ago, 11 months ago, something like that. And then, um, few months after that, I did, um, I had a viral thread. I don't know if you saw it about freelance projects and it went like crazy viral. I think it had like something like two and a half million impressions. So I thought, <laughs> um, yeah, I know. So I thought, I'm, I'm onto something here. So, um, I wrote my second ebook about, you know, just, just fleshing out that thread, basically expanding on it quite a lot. Um, cause obviously people liked the content. And then after that, uh, in January this year, I released my first video course, which is uh, the personal website playbook, which is kind of like what we touched on before, like how to get, you know, leads opportunity and, and revenue for yourself through your personal website from multiple revenue streams, whether that be, you know, services, products, mentorship and blogging and things like that. Yeah, that's magic. It's so good to be able to productize yourself. And I think as well, 
I mean, I made like an EBIC of imposter syndrome and oh, yeah. I've, I've actually made that as a kind of freebie for people to sign up to my newsletter. And yeah, mm-hmm. my conversions have like gone through the roof <laughs> since then. So you don't even need to be charging. You can just, I've seen lots of people like build up really big mailing lists with resources for developers. And then, yeah, definitely. And then obviously you can use that if you're launching a business or launching paid products. That's, yeah, that's really useful. Yeah, that's kind of like what the tactic was with the 10 steps to becoming a better freelancer in the beginning. I just wanted to get something out there free for people, uh, but also use it to build my um, mailing list. I think I've got like four and a half thousand people that have downloaded that. So it's a pretty good start. And then obviously any other products that I do release thereafter, they're likely to be interested in them too. So yeah, it's a really good um, tactic for sure. Yeah, definitely. I just last couple of days, I've just been telling everyone that I know with the newsletter, just like give something away for free. Like people like free stuff. And then Mm -hmm. that's like a really good way to get people on your list. And then yeah, build it out from there. I know that you're like really big on the kind of like headless CMS for WordPress. And that's Mm -hmm. that kind of like a lot of people are saying that's the future for WordPress. Can you explain? what that is for people and why that's going to be like the future. Yeah, sure. So like we have like this Jamstack headless approach now in web development where we're kind of splitting everything off into like API driven microservices and things like that. And relating that to my experience with WordPress, I think WordPress has kind of got this perception by a lot of people of being like quick, cheap, easy, free and things like that. Whereas it kind of gets discounted from solving these more advanced digital problems, if you know what I mean. And I think that that's a bit of a bad take, really, because WordPress is super extendable, super flexible, and I've been solving hard problems with it for, for 12 years. So, and anyway, to relate it back to the headless stuff, like I, I really believe that, um, you know, JavaScript is just going to take over. It already is, you know, um, React view all these new front-end technologies, you know, um, Gatsby, Next.js. It just gives you a way to primarily, like, build really nice frameworks. It's a modular um, way of developing. And then the businesses at the end of it get a really fast site. You know, it's scalable. There's SEO benefits. There's, There's just a lot going for it. But then you've got this crossover where you've got a lot of people who are so used to WordPress that they don't want to move away from it. But they think that these headless technologies are kind of out of their reach, which is not is not really true because with WordPress you've got the REST API, and you can also use WP GraphQL, uh, which is a plugin that you can add, which will give you you know a GraphQL data layer on top, which can then be consumed by you know your JavaScript front end to get, to get you all those headless benefits. So, like a lot of people, I think that headless WordPress is going to be the future of WordPress, and it's already started really with the introduction of React into the core with the block editor and things like that. So I think that JavaScript's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and WordPress is going to be a big part of uh, the future of web development too. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I'm starting to see things like neighborhood restaurants and cafes and their websites are built in React, and it's like super fast. And I think like there's so much potential for kind of like, you know, old, slow, you know, sites to really give an amazing experience to the users and be super fast, but in a way that I guess is they can still use WordPress. So it's still 
accessible to people and you know you're not asking like a small business owner to learn react or anything so i was wondering as well just kind of like round out the show are there any favorite developers that you can recommend following on twitter perhaps hmm good one um i mean i i've got a, a good friend called uh, gaia kessler and he's uh, probably the best javascript developer that i know and he does a lot of Node and React stuff. And we're working together on a little SaaS product for creators, but it's um, it's under my hat at the minute. Um, so, yeah, definitely give uh, Gaia a follow. He's okay. uh, at G Gaia Kessler on uh, Twitter. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to go with one that's not not an obvious one. So I think he's yeah. only got two or 3,000 followers. But, yeah, he's, he's a great guy and uh, an awesome developer. Nice one, nice one. And, yeah, it's always good when it's people that aren't just super famous or anything. Uh, are you, do you have any like favorite tech podcasts to listen to? Tech podcasts. I mean, I'm listen to like entrepreneurial stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, so I listen good. to like, uh, my first million, the all in podcast, pretty good with uh, all the VC guys. Um, so yeah, they would be my two. And obviously the Tim Ferriss show is always pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. Final question. What's your favorite site for people that are learning to code? Hmm. I always try and point people to like free code camp because I just think it's, you know, obviously it's free and it's got like an exhaustive list of different courses and things like that. So anyone looking to start and doesn't want to spend like tons and tons of money, I would definitely start there. It's like a really popular choice Obviously, tons of resources and everything. I was just wondering as well, where can people find out more about you? Cool. Yeah. So, um, the best place to get me is on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. So I'm at Tom underscore Hurst. And if you want to just find out a bit more about my story and links to my products and things like that, you can go to uh, tomhurst.com forward slash about. Awesome. Well, thanks again for the interview. And it was awesome also to have your text interview a little while ago on nocs3.com. Thanks for sharing your time with us again and good luck with everything and your projects. No worries, Pete. Thanks for having me. Cheers. No worries. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. It was a real pleasure talking to Tom and I've included some of his products in the show description. If you want to get more stories like this, feel free to go to nocsdegree.com where there's over a hundred text interviews with developers that are self-taught or have been to coding bootcamps. If you're looking for a job, you can go to nocsok.com. That's a job board I've made where I only show positions that it's okay to apply for if you're self-taught or have been to a coding bootcamp. Finally, if you like this episode, please give it a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Cheers.